0: The David Pakman Show at DavidPacman.com. dot com. It was completely predictable that Republican Senator Ted Cruz's approval rating was going to fall among uh, Democrats and among left leaning independents after he. In a completely, I mean, I I don't know what he was thinking, but he well actually I do know what he was thinking. He fled with his family to Cancun when the power went out in his home state of Texas, and what he was thinking was quite clear, which is I want to have power. Let's go somewhere where it's warm and there's power. That's exactly what he was thinking, um, until it completely blew up in his face. And so we were expecting that his already low approval among Democrats and left leaning independents was going to fall. But Ted Cruz's approval rating has collapsed 20 points among Republican voters. And this is really a signal of the worst situation for Ted Cruz since he took office in 2013. Quite frankly, according to a Yahoo YouGov poll, uh, 24 um, uh, percent of voters approve of him overall and 49 percent disapprove. That's a net approval of minus 25 for Ted Cruz. But that's overall. And when you look at the uh, Republican numbers in a morning consult poll, Ted Cruz is at 53 percent approval among Republicans. That's down 23 points from January on January 9th. After the Trump riots, 76 percent of Republicans supported Ted Cruz. And that number is now down 23 points. To 53 percent Republican support for Ted Cruz. Nearly half of the Republican Party does not approve of Ted Cruz. And that is absolutely stunning. Uh, Ted Cruz's approval was already sort of on the decline in January. If you go back to December, you see that in the period uh, from December 27 to January five, Cruz's approval was 81 percent among Republicans. Then January six to nine, the immediate aftermath of the riot, he was down from 81 to 76 percent approval among Republicans and then now 53 percent approval among Republicans. Now for us, the unfortunate reality and it's been a reality that's much bigger than Ted Cruz for a long time. Ted Cruz isn't up for reelection until 2024. He just won in 2018 six year terms for senators. Up again in 2024. That's an insanely long amount of time for this to have any effect electorally. I know that we can hope that voters will remember this in 2024. I think it's just too long. Uh, The circumstances in 2024 for Ted Cruz are going to be far more dictated by what's going on at the time. Is Trump the Republican nominee or not? Uh, other factors at that point. And if this were to have an effect, it would be getting Ted Cruz to resign now. There seems to be no chance that that happens. I've seen no indication whatsoever. No reason to think Ted Cruz is going to resign over this. The way out of Ted Cruz as a senator in Texas is to register new voters and to get out the vote. It's not to convert existing Republican voters. What we've learned many times is that if you rely on Republican voters to remember the horrible things that their elected officials did, you don't win. (laughs) It's just not a winning strategy is what we've learned over time. Ted Cruz will have a bounce back. He has now four years to start getting on all of the tired tropes of we've got to fight socialism and the dead is a you know, all that stuff. He'll have a bounce back. There will be some, you know, tragedy of some kind that will allow him to talk about how the left wants to take your guns. And uh, if he wants to be reelected, he almost certainly will if we leave it to Republicans in Texas to decide and remember the things he did, the way to defeat Ted Cruz is to get out the vote and to register new voters. And um, if this re-election campaign for Cruz were maybe in 2022, there'd be more of a shot at the Cancun fiasco having an impact. If it were 2021, it would be even better. But the cautious optimism for 2024 is that Cruz did only defeat Beto O'Rourke by a small margin, about 51 to 48 in 2018. If the election were now or in a few months. And we were hammering, hammering, hammering on get out the vote and registering voters. I think Beto O'Rourke would have a real shot at defeating Ted Cruz. Four years from now makes it more difficult to predict. But let's prove ourselves wrong. If Ted Cruz is going to be defeated on 2024, it will be because of the campaign that we mount. Then we saw the model in Georgia with Stacey Abrams and registering new new voters. Joe Biden winning Georgia two Democratic challengers uh, in the Senate in Georgia, defeating two Republican incumbents in Georgia. So it can be done. We've seen the the playbook simply waiting for the Cancun fiasco to affect Republicans four years from now. That's not the winning strategy. I'm open to having my mind changed, but I've seen no evidence that that's the way to win that seat back. This is just completely predictable, but also disastrously humiliating. We have now learned, that a close ally per CNN of Georgia Republican Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene participated, participated in the January 6th riots in Washington, D.C., and was among those who ultimately made their way into the building. We've been covering Marjorie Taylor Greene as one of quite a few Trumpy radical right wing members of Congress that won solely because of their support of Donald Trump. And Marjorie Taylor Greene in particular has been promoting all sorts of conspiracies and dangerous ideas. She encouraged the idea untrue idea that the election was somehow stolen by Joe Biden from Donald Trump. She tweeted that those who broke into the Capitol weren't even really Republicans. They were Antifa dressed up as Trump supporters. But unfortunately. A guy named Anthony Aguero, a conservative live streamer, activist and associate of Marjorie Taylor Greene's is on video saying he was among those who entered. It wasn't done by Antifa. It was really pro Trump Republicans who did it. He said, quote, on video, we were all there. It was not Antifa and it was not Black Lives Matter. It was Trump supporters that did that yesterday. I'm the first to admit it being one myself. I walked amongst all those people. This is a close associate of Marjorie Taylor Greene's. Green and Aguero worked closely together on uh, immigration related issues, the border wall. They went to pro Trump rallies together. A bunch of videos have since been deleted. But Marjorie Taylor Greene has called Aguero amazing and a friend. And Aguero called Green one of my closest friends. This is an associate of Marjorie Taylor Greene's who was an activist with Marjorie Taylor Greene, who was at the Trump riots and participated in the Trump riots. Now, will there be any repercussions for Marjorie Taylor Greene as a result of this? I don't think so. I don't think so. At this point, we have seen that you can essentially get away with anything in the Republican Party without having to resign, without having repercussions. It was even shocking to me that Marjorie Taylor Greene was stripped of her committee assignments because of uh, the things that that she said in the aftermath of the January 6th uh, uh, riots. But uh, the, the only way out of this is she has to be soundly defeated in twenty twenty two. Now I'm already seeing all sorts of very confident uh, statements that Marjorie Taylor Greene is facing a bloodbath for reelection in 2022. She's going to be soundly defeated. It's going to be humiliating. She's going to be made a one term congresswoman. Let's ease up on that a little bit. It's not totally clear to me that that's guaranteed to be the way that it goes. There's a bunch of different things that can happen. One is we don't know what the political tide will be at the national level in 2022. It could be that this Sunday, Donald Trump at his CPAC speech announces he's running in 2024. And it could be that something happens between now and 2022 and Donald Trump personally campaigns for Marjorie Taylor Greene and she gets herself reelected. I think anybody assuming she doesn't is not thinking uh, empirically at this point in time. The other thing we have to remember, for those of us hoping for a humiliating defeat for Marjorie Taylor Greene in November of 2022, is that if it's obvious that she has no shot she may just say she's not running for reelection to save face. She may say, you know what? I did my one term, unfortunately, because of the fake news and the socialist Democrats and all of this cancel culture. They are limiting my ability to do anything. So I'm going to be able to better work for the people by going back to Georgia and doing who the hell knows what. Some lobbying gig for all I know. I don't know. But that is also a sort of escape pod that if it, if it's abundantly clear she's going to lose, she also just may not run for reelection. So we just want her gone. I don't care if she loses in 2022 or chooses not to run. But if you're just assuming she's going to get soundly defeated, I think you're getting a little bit a uh, little bit ahead of, of, of yourself there. Uh, OK, we have a fantastic program today. I do want to remind you I will be live streaming. CPAC on Sunday, the final speeches at the uh, conservative political action conference, which will include a speech by former President Donald Trump, possibly to announce his 2024 candidacy. I hope you will join me Sunday for the rare weekend live stream on YouTube, Twitch and Facebook. But we still have a fantastic program for you today and we'll continue right after this. Send me your thoughts about the Marjorie Taylor Greene situation. You can find me on Twitter, at the pacman the david pacman show at davidpacman.com You may not have known this, but when you see me sitting here on the show, I am often wearing shirts by a company called Teddy Stratford. I asked them to be a sponsor because they are by far my favorite shirts that I own with almost all other slim fit button-up shirts I've worn. You get this annoying stretched out gap in the chest where the buttons are, which does not look good. But what makes Teddy Stratford shirts unique is this patented zipper that's hidden underneath the buttons, which actually prevents the chest from looking weird and stretched out like that. It looks really good. And just all around, they cut the entire shirt in a specific way that makes your upper body look a lot better. It's just a much nicer and more stylish fit than you get from other shirts and they hand make everything with 100% egyptian cotton and flat felled seams which means it's going to be a lot more durable than other shirts and last a lot longer which i really love go check them out at davidpackman.com/teddy the link is in the podcast notes and they'll give you 15% off your first order if you use the coupon code packman at checkout that's p a k m a n if you are anything like me you probably aren't thrilled with the idea of going into a doctor's office right now. And thankfully there is a practical and affordable way to take control of your health and get personalized care from the comfort of your home. It's a service called steady MD. They're one of our sponsors. You take a quiz, you get matched with a licensed primary care physician who understands your health needs. You have a one hour video call with your new doctor. You establish a meaningful relationship with them. And after that, your doctor is available to you anytime by text, phone or video chat. This is not a random doctor on call. Each doctor at SteadyMD has a limited number of patients, so they actually have time to listen to you. You get the personal attention that you deserve. They can do almost everything an in-person doctor can do, perform medical evaluations, talk to you about health concerns send prescriptions to your home or local pharmacy and anything they can't do online. They'll quickly set you up with an in-person provider to do things like blood tests. As an example, you don't need insurance. It's only 99 bucks a month with no other fees or copays. There are so many practical advantages to using steady MD for primary care and it's also so much more affordable. Go to SteadyMD.com slash Pacman to take the free quiz and see which doctor is right for you. I took their quiz. They matched me with a doctor who specializes in my particular health needs. The doctor they gave me is a really perfect fit for me. Again, that's SteadyMD.com slash Pacman. There's no risk, no commitment to get started. That's S T E A D Y M D dot com forward slash P A K M A N. The David Pacman Show at DavidPacman.com. Remember that The David Pakman Show, of course, is funded primarily by memberships. Memberships you can get quickly, easily, beautifully, perfectly at JoinPacman.com. The coupon code still works. That code is better21, which will save you. I mean, it just saves you so much. I'm not even comfortable telling you how much. Let's listen in to, or not let's listen in, let's talk to, some folks in the audience who have questions, comments about the last week of the political world. Uh, we are taking calls via The David Pakman Show discord server, which you can join at David slash discord. The waiting lobby is the place to participate. Let's go next to Patrick from Vernon Hills. Patrick from Vernon Hills, you're on the air. Hey, David. Uh, can you hear me? Yes, I can.
1: Cool. Uh, I have maybe more of a historical question for you, but do you uh, have any examples of maybe the US or other countries that have gone from times of heavy propaganda or sensational news to better news systems? And how have nations done that? Like what regulations or laws or social movements? um, In particular, I'm thinking of like the yellow journalism in the 20th century or the Red Scare. In the middle of the twenty first,
0: yeah. I mean, I guess my mind goes to transitioning from from. uh, Two thoughts come to mind: World War Two and Cold War, where there was a lot of propaganda. I mean, I think like okay, take Estonia as an example, which I think is an interesting one because they're one of the countries that has best sort of recovered from the fall of the Soviet Union and exited the Cold War, very technologically advanced, uh, very um, open when it comes to media. I, I think that the examples always go along with some change in the type of government you have. And so I think that that maybe is a cautionary tale from the standpoint of to really get away from a media apparatus, and maybe government propaganda apparatus that that is weaponized disinformation. You typically need substantive change to uh, who's in charge and the type of people that are in charge. But but I think Estonia is sort of an interesting example in the post Soviet Union era.
1: Cool. Thanks. Uh, one more, if you're fine with it. Uh sure. Uh, Andrew Yang has proposed a few times giving people money to invest in uh, their local journalism outlets. So on your tax returns, you get like 100 bucks or something, and you can only uh, use that to donate to a – person or organization that's registered as a news organization to help rebuild local news outlets. Uh, What do you think of that proposal?
0: That's very interesting. I've not heard of that. I've heard of another idea where you can designate money for. Um, local elected officials rather than I think when you do your taxes is a question of like, do you want to put three bucks towards like the yes. presidential election fund or something like that? I've never met anybody who says yes to that, but some people must. Um, the idea of doing it for for local. I, I, I think it's very interesting. I think the devil is in the details. I'd want to know mo- more about exactly how it's done, but I like the idea. Cool. Thank you. All right. And by the way, I think I like the idea better of with the politicians, one of just getting money out of politics and having public financing of elections rather than giving people the option to participate in the system. Let's change the system. But when yeah, it comes to when it comes to media, I think it's more interesting.
1: Yeah, the freedom dividend, I thought, was a genius idea. I never heard that. So Angie Yang and it just really changed. I was so pessimistic about money and politics until I heard that I was like, it's genius. Like.
0: All right, my friend, thank you for the call. Thank you. All right. Take care. Uh, OK, very good. Let's go. Where are we going next? Let's go to uh, let's go to Catherine G.G. I don't know what the, if that's a location. What is G.G. Catherine? Is that a where you are?
2: Hello. David. Yes. Hello. Hi. Yes, I'm from Arkansas, but I go to college in Tulsa, Oklahoma.
0: Oh, OK. Very good.
2: Um, so I've got a question about Trump's upcoming uh, CPAC speech. Yes. So I I know there's going to be like some news that kind of he might uh, announce his 2024 candidacy. Like, I honestly don't care about that. I don't care what he has to say about like 2022 either because, you know, with the ongoing legal investigation, something might happen before then. Right. But what I'm most... What what I'm worried about is like if he's going to say anything about the Supreme Court ruling on his tax returns. Um, I know he's already re- I know he's already had a statement in response to that, but. Um,
0: well, what are like, you what, what are, are you worried about? Like what, what would he say that worries you?
2: Like I like I don't know, like he could probably like be spreading some wild, like he, like I know this is hypothetical. It's over exaggerated, but you know, like how predictable is he? Honestly, you know, like he's always got targets such as the media and the Democrats and like. You know, like the the court system, like he like he thinks everything is rigged against him. Like, Do you think he could like start spreading conspiracies about how unfair the court system could be?
0: Oh, it wouldn't be that he starts. I mean, any time a court has ruled against him, he either you know, I mean, it goes back to attacking that judge um, in 2017 and saying the judge couldn't couldn't fairly rule because his parents are Mexican. So of course, Trump will do that. I just don't think that it's a particular concern. I mean, he's an ex president. Yes, he's going to speak at CPAC on Sunday. I think the most impactful thing he could do would be to announce his 2024 candidacy. He'll probably rail against who knows who for treating him unfairly. I think at this point we all expect it. I don't think it'll have much of an impact.
2: Okay, well, I'm just curious because, you know, like. If these legal investigations, like if something does really come up, like he is convicted and possibly sent to um, prison for whatever charges are entailed, it's not going to happen. Well, like, well, what about like his followers in the case that something like that happened? Like, what would they do? Trump
0: Trump's just not going to prison. I mean, I don't know that it, it even is worth hypothesizing.
2: OK. Yeah. All right. Sorry if that's like an over exaggerated or hy- hypothetical thing,
0: but I no, no, like I mean, it's good. It's good to that. think about these things. Just the U.S. doesn't jail past presidents. And I just don't. Uh, you know, people have asked that off and on for the last year. I don't think it's going to happen.
2: OK. All right. Well, thanks for reaching out, David.
0: Yeah, thanks, Catherine. Very much. Appreciate the call. Catherine from Arkansas in Tulsa. Very, very exciting. Let's go next to Bobby from New Jersey. Bobby from Jersey, you're on.
1: Hello, David. How it? How's it going?
0: It's going. It's going well, Bobby. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Um, my th- My question is: is that a lot of times a lot of uh, lefty commentators often cite that things like Medicare for All has a seventy percent approval rating, but a lot of times they don't consider that it's soft support and don't and don't know that that the that the support. Is um goes down whenever it's mentioned that there's a tax increase,
0: and yeah. I, 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 so let's Bobby, I don't want to interrupt you, but I want to make clear. I do. To, I cover that every time I talk about support for Medicare for all. So it sounds like you're talking about other commentators, which I wouldn't really be able to speak to. But I completely agree with you. There's very detailed information about this. The Kaiser Family Foundation has shown that, you know, the more details you give about how Medicare all would actually work, I don't mean scaremongering about government takeovers and communism, just accurate information. Support does go down. So I think it's fair to say some Medicare for all support is softer. Right.
3: But I was. But
1: the point is, is that a lot of people kind of take polls um, too literally and oftentimes don't. I say don't know the fine details behind
0: that. Right. I agree I mean, with you. I agree with you. And that's that, the case that, with many more issues than just Medicare for all. Now, I think an that example it's also important, Bobby, to know that regardless of whether something is or isn't popular or is or is not understood by the public. It might be a good thing or a bad thing. Like that's also that's a different discussion.
1: Yes, and do you think sometimes the qu- the qu- the quantity of the support isn't as important as the quality of the support? Like well, like I mean, Trump it's, has never sure, had the majority, sure, but he's had strong support.
0: the The problem in general with basing whether something should happen solely on whether it has support is that the U.S. as a population has supported really bad things many times in history. And there are arguably certain things we shouldn't put to a popular vote. I mean, you look at, you know, when states vote about should two gay people be able to get married? Why are we even putting that to a vote like it's a fundamental, just basic human rights issue? So I think that looking at popular support for issues and candidates, is one piece of how we analyze the merits of something, but it's just one piece. Right. Thank you, David. All right. My pleasure. Bobby from Jersey. Always great to hear from you. Why don't we go next to let's go to LJ from Vegas, LJ from Las Vegas. What's going on?
3: Hey, David, I'm actually a longtime listener. Uh, Glad. Thank you for taking my call.
0: How are how are things in Vegas? You know, normally I go twice a year, but I've not been now because of the pandemic since October of twenty nineteen. I'm hopeful that I will be back in October of this year. If all goes well, how has it been, Um, you know, funny thing you say that Um, a lot of
3: my family right now at the moment, they're currently on uh, unemployment. Thankfully, here we do have a governor that's been taking good care of us. Yeah, Uh, I'm not on unemployment. I went back after a few months. Um, to my job, uh, the funny thing is, is I actually got to meet Sam Cedar um, at one of the conventions you come out to Vegas for. Oh, really? Uh, you were supposed to arrive, but he said something. Uh, maybe you were um, in a doctor's appointment, or you had some kind of. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to get into the specifics, but um, <laughs> and now I had hold on, I had a doctor's appointment in Vegas. No, 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 no. Um, you were um, where you are, right? Um, but oh, Sam oh, Cedar oh, said oh, oh, oh. come out to convention
0: when I had, had some um. Kind of When I had the appendectomy, that's right. I when I had my emergent, well, I mean, every every appendectomy, I guess, is mostly an emergency unless you're going somewhere where you need it to have preemptively removed, which sometimes happens when you go on certain missions to Antarctica. They require preemptive appendix removal. But no, that's right. I ended up not making it because it was only a few weeks after my appendectomy and I was not I was not cleared to uh, lift my luggage. So I couldn't go. That's absolutely right.
3: Yeah, I was hoping to meet you, too, because I actually worked for the the convention you were going to. So I worked for the exhibitor services department. So I was super excited to meet you. But then uh, Sam Cedar was like, no, he's not coming out. And I was like, oh, man, I would have loved to have, like shook your hand and said hello
0: next time. Uh, we should. We'll hopefully be back in October.
3: <laughs> oh, I don't work for that uh, property anymore. So oh, okay. uh, as That's much stupid. as I wish. But if you're ever in <laughs> Vegas and you ever need someone to show you around, I'd be more than glad to give you, a, you know, a lift or help you in any way. So I love it. Um, Just uh, one comment I wanted to make, though. um, And um, one thing that I've always wanted to discuss is that I always feel that here in the United States, or at least globally, how we look like is we're always defined on the smaller percentage of and whatever percentage that might be of the extremes of, let's say, the right and the left. Right.
0: Mm.
3: And I I always feel like it, it is a unvalued argument to always constantly keep saying, well, in America, you have this problem in, um, of you know, all, all these issues and everything like that. And it's just a suppression of the minority that always gets the um, the spotlight rather than the I'm going to push back. Of-
0: no, I don't know that I agree. Let me push back a little bit on that. Okay. So I think that there is a different so. So I guess, like, let's imagine, would you agree just for our conversation that we kind of establish that? The, the wacky far right that is sometimes discussed would be kind of like QAnon, white supremacists, uh, these people who think Bill Gates is going to microchip you and that, you know, there's no virus oh, like would, are, are. we OK with that as the car- the cartoon of the far right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. OK. Yeah. And then are we OK with like the cartoon of the far left as like actual communist socialist Marxists <laughs> who want <laughs> Stalinist USSR whatever? Like, could we say that's the left caricature?
3: I as a as a Cuban American completely push back on that, of course, that, you know, that's who I am. But yes, I do agree that that's the characteristic of the far left.
0: If you go elsewhere in the world, the U.S. isn't known for this socialist left contingent. If you look at other parts of the world, when people think about what what is the U.S., they see the U.S. way more as a sort of libertarian free market capitalism unhinged thing. And so while you and I might say that what I just outlined is typically seen as the the extreme left by which the U.S. is judged, the world doesn't look at the U.S. and think that the so-called socialists or communists or whatever really have much of an impact. And the truth is that they don't. I mean, none of them are in power, I think. so, So I don't know that I agree with you that around the world, that's how the U.S. is sort of caricatured.
3: No, I know. I completely agree with you. What what I'm trying to say is that sometimes people think that the America itself is like uh, what's what's a what's a good representation of this is we're all gun-toting maniacs who just want to shoot each other constantly all the time. Right? Now
0: you're talking. That often is the perception in much of the rest of the world. You're right now.
3: Where? Yeah. Well, and you know, I, I completely agree that there are a percentage of people in the United States who are people who love to have guns and love yeah. to, you know, what's it called? Use them sure. in, in any aspect of their life. I do feel like the the overwhelming um, people who are in the United States, uh, you know, do have a mixed opinion. And I know you've discussed it with other like special guests of yours, right? Where it's not a left-right issue. It's more of like a quadrant. Yes. Where yes, you may be liberal on some things, but you might also be, uh, uh, what, what is it? Um...
0: Well, it's, it's, a th- it's a th- authoritarian, libertarian and then economically left right is often the kind of four box quadrant that's used.
3: Correct. And I, I think that if we fall into the trap of constantly trying to make everything left and right. Yeah. Then we're missing the issues. You know, the grander issue of not everybody falls into a left right kind of personality.
0: Agree. C- certainly no no argument there.
3: Yeah, and that's just that's just the comment I wanted to make that sometimes maybe we should stop going from what's what's the left doing, what's the right doing, but what are people doing specifically in in their you know aspects and lives.
0: No argument from me, my friend. Thank you. All right, LJ show, so. from Las Vegas. Thank you so much for the call. We're going to take a quick break. If you're holding and wanting to talk to me, don't hang up because we're going to take some more calls right after this short break. The David Pakman Show at DavidPacman.com. dot com. If you ever feel like you just don't have enough time to read all the books you want to read, you have to check out one of my favorite apps called Blinkist Blinkist takes thousands of popular nonfiction books and distills each one down into an ebook or audiobook that you can get through in just 15 minutes where you're getting all the key takeaways from the book. Just imagine how you'll be able to expand your horizons and knowledge by being able to soak up all of the important insights from 10 different books in an afternoon. Obviously it's perfect for exposing yourself to a new book you otherwise wouldn't have time for, or you can use it to revisit a book you've already read or use it to preview a book before you buy the full version and read it. I recently read a brief history of time, of course, by the great Stephen Hawking. This is a book that I have been aware of for so long and other things got in the way. And it was fantastic to check it out on Blinkist. Blinkist has books on politics, philosophy, science. They have twenty-seven different nonfiction categories, and a subscription is only about eight bucks a month. And you get access to the entire library. But you can try it totally free, and get twenty-five percent off a subscription when you go to blinkistcom Pacman. That's blinkis tcom Pacman. One of our sponsors is Sussman and Han Sussman and Han has everything you need when it comes to face masks and other supplies to stay safe during covid-19. And Sussman and Han is the company that I've personally been going to for face masks and other PPE because I trust the products that they sell. And that's actually why we reached out to them about becoming a sponsor, because their prices are reasonable. Ordering is simple. Everything ships within 24 hours, and they just have high-quality products for this global hundred-year pandemic. They've got surgical masks, KN95 masks, N95 masks, other useful things like infrared thermometers, face shields, sanitizers. Sussman and Han is also an awesome company because they've donated over 65,000 masks so far to healthcare institutions. Shipping is free on orders over $150. You can get to their website by going to davidpackman.com/mask and you'll find the link in the podcast notes and you will get 20% off when you use the coupon code david, that's davidpackman.com/mask, coupon code david for 20% off. Welcome back to the David Pakman Show. Okay, let's go back to the phones, by which I mean Discord, DavidPacman.com slash discord I want to hear next from Tamisha. Tamisha, you're on the air. What's going on?
4: Hi, David. How are you? Um, I'm from. I'm. A, I'm a teacher in New York City public schools. Okay. And um, I'm a co-teacher, so I work with another teacher and. She, we're also good friends, so she told me that she voted for Trump, and while fundamentally I don't believe that you should decide a friendship based on that, but at the same time I had feelings, like I felt a way about the fact that she voted for Trump. She gave me her reasons, we talk about it a lot, but I really still felt right, and we got into an argument about it, we made up and everything, but so what do you think about maintaining a friendship?
0: Well, is it is uh, so you you learned she voted for Trump and that disturbed you. And then you talked about why. How do you feel about the reasons why she voted for Trump?
4: Her reasons um, were based on misinformation, but I understood where she was coming from. Like she said that she was afraid of socialism. She lives in Jersey and she doesn't like the her government governor, which is Democratic and stuff like that. And she was a Democrat. She switched to independent. And you know some of her reason like the socialist part. I was like, you don't really understand that it's not like our country's going to become socialist. It's right. I mean, does she think
0: Joe Biden is a socialist?
4: Well, she really thinks Joe Biden is just not has dementia. Is not she? You know, it's a lot of that fake news stuff that she she listens to. Yeah,
0: that's tough. I mean, listen, you're in a position where this is not only a friend, but it's someone you're working with. So I, you know, I think it's a, it's a very personal decision. The the one thought I have is if you don't feel as though you've learned things about this person where you believe that you now are sort of uh, in some way uh, targeted by them or that they have beliefs which are directly hostile to you, like, okay, it sounds like you're saying she fell for the idea that that if Trump loses, there's going to be socialism. That was wrong. But it doesn't necessarily mean that. Uh, she now has to have a hostile relationship with you. Like if, if you feel as though you disagree with this person and they're misinformed about things and have come to the wrong conclusions, but it's not hostile to you in a direct way, then I would understand, especially because you have to work with them, that, that you maintain the relationship. But it's a very personal decision to make.
4: Yeah, I agree. I mean, she like we talk about politics a lot because we're both very interested. And she she does value my opinion, I value her opinion. and. Um, we talked it out and she I told I explained that to her about the whole socialism fear. And she was like, oh, OK, I, that makes me feel better because I, I really don't want our country to turn into that. And
0: she's now did you? I'm curious, did, at some point, did you say, do you know what socialism is? Let me understand what when you say socialism, what do you mean? And see if she even knows what it is. Was that something you tried?
4: Um, yeah, she feels like it's like um, big government and free everything and. and she doesn't like the idea of universal health care, which I do. Yeah. Um, for all. Yeah. And so she's I, pretty
0: misinformed about what these things even are, it sounds like.
4: Yeah, basically. Yeah. But like I said, I don't I, I still value her friendship and we're still friends and I don't let it get to me. But I did feel a little off putting about the fact that she did wind up voting for Trump.
0: I agree. But listen, it sounds like all in all, this is this is very tolerable. And overall, it sounds like it's more positive than negative for you.
4: Yes. Yeah. Well, cool.
0: there. There's your answer. Thanks. All right. Thanks, Tamisha. Uh, keep up the great work teaching in New York. That's a big deal. Let's go next. Where do we want to go next? How about? Uh, oh, I don't know. There's a lot of interesting callers here. Let's go to. Um, why don't we go to John from Philly? John from Philly, you're on the air. Hey,
5: uh, Davey. How are you, sir? Good. How are you? Very good. Very good. And um, I just discovered this uh, link to call you because I tried to call you from the previous way to call you from the six one seven. But it's no longer work.
0: It's so. done. That's right. It's all discord now.
5: OK, perfect. I was just wondering, what do you uh, believe uh, the uh, Republican Party is is going to like, uh, I don't know. I feel like uh, the Republican Party is done. Like,
0: D- hold mean, on, uh, J- John. Did you say done or dumb?
5: Like, done completely. Oh, dumb. completely like, done. Like, okay, I yeah, yeah, think, yeah. I don't believe that they can win an- another election. I yeah. mean, in, in the White House, I mean, uh, I could be wrong. I don't
0: know. Well, listen, That's so right. I, I have That's two right. thoughts and John, we've spoken before, right? You're you're from the Dominican Republic, if I recall correctly. Yeah. OK. Yes. Yeah, yeah. 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 I remember you. So here's the thought. On the one hand, when you look at what's going on and you see how Donald Trump led to Republicans losing the House in twenty eighteen, losing the White House and the Senate in twenty twenty and um, distrust in so many different aspects of what the Republican Party stands for. It's hard to imagine how could they win without changing what they're doing. But we've said this many times before, John, where we say, wow, the republic now they definitely can never win again and then they win again. So I would be careful about saying there's no way they can win. The things I'm going to be looking out for are what happens in twenty twenty two. Do Republicans in twenty twenty two reject the Trumpian candidates like Marjorie Taylor Green and others? or do they get reelected. If they get reelected in 2022, there will be a fight for who represents the Republican Party in 2024. If in 2022 all of these Trump people get voted out and the Republican Party goes back to being what it was, I think they'll probably be mostly back together by the time of the next presidential election. That's my thought right now.
5: So don't uh did you think they are not gonna go back to the values of, of being uh like before, like when the Reagan uh kind of thing, like yeah when he was in power, like the uh uh what is I call it, the uh, like the focus the,
0: the focus on welfare reform, trickle down economics, the debt, religion, that type of thing you mean?
5: Yeah, like the the, the principle of uh, being a conservative.
0: Right. You know, yeah.
5: That was their the way of, 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 of policy. But now everything changed, and now is they are completely in another, like far, far right now. It's like.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, the Republican Party. Like un- now, now they plan to
5: be like a party of. Of, the, of of uh, races in power. That's <laughs> well, the, the way
0: are. the way I would say it is they've become about just angering the left. That's that's their philosophy now. What can we do that will anger the left? Trump was never about policy. The few policies he ran on, like replacing Obamacare, building a wall, fixing trade. He didn't do any of those things. And for the last two years of Trump, they didn't even pretend to care about policy. So you're asking a great question, which is do they go back to what they pretended to be during the 80s and 90s? I think it's too soon to know. I think we just have to wait and see, John.
5: Yeah. Well, I don't know. To me, the Republican Party is not going to be the same anymore.
0: I think it'll never, it won't, even if it goes back to being about what it was. It will never be the same because they can't erase the fact that they had Trump for four years, and I think that's that will cause some irreversible change for sure.
5: Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. But thank you so much. Thank uh, you, John. Appreciate
0: Appreciate it. Hope hope things are well in Philly. There's John from Philly. Always great to talk to him. Why don't we go next to? Let's go to Ricky Allen from Iowa. Ricky Allen from Iowa. You're on the air. Ricky, you from Iowa, you've got to unmute and then we'll be able to hear you and talk.
6: Hey, David, what's up for you?
0: There you are. How are you?
6: No, I'm actually Ricky from J.A., J-A which is Jamaica.
0: Oh, from Jamaica. OK, uh, I guess it must be some kind of lowercase J. That looks like an I. No,
6: it's G's. Capital J. Yes. Um. This is my second time okay. calling in. I was actually a first Jamaican caller.
0: You were. I um, remember that.
6: Okay. Cool. So what I wanted to ask, though, is, um, lately, um, I'm starting to get extremely concerned with the um, political dynamic on the left. Yes. Um, in which because at one point, um. I do not want to call any name but there are certain people there are certain um individual or commentator on the left which i think are becoming very counterproductive towards um um a political ends in which i think their view politics in such a what i say idealistic framework Hmm. uh, and not so much of a pragmatic framework and that in my opinion in in which how do you think we um, can be more pragmatic and ensure that our ideology, our form of leftism um, come to fruition. And because um, those commentators I see will lead you more into a right wing direction and not so much of Obtaining the political goal in
0: which That's very interesting. This is a critique I've had of, of some of the left. Now, I'm curious, Ricky, are you talking about politicians or media people that you believe are falling too far towards idealism rather than pragmatism?
6: Oh, media, media people. Oh, really? Because honestly, at one point, my introduction to leftism was basically Kyle Collins. Mm hmm. Right now. I do not listen to Kyle Collins. I wow. think he's I think is his approach to politics is extremely silly and counterproductive. Because um, you, so th- you think you like,
0: think he's you you're saying he's too idealistic and not pragmatic enough? Th-
6: that's exactly what I'm saying and it's and Jimmy Dore Jimmy Dore also these mm. these um did their way of viewing politics I think lead people to a bit more um when they try to equivocate, the left are the Democratic Party, and the Republican Party like they are the same. Uh, when you have Jimmy Dore saying that the reason why people does not have health care is because of AOC, like those stuff makes us um, make the left, in my opinion, my opinion, right? Um, not as productive as we want it to be.
0: See, that's interesting. I, I think that, you know, I don't know. The Jimmy Dore stuff, I think Jimmy's operating in a different sort of universe. I'm more familiar with Kyle's views. There's a difference between useful idealism to kind of set the goal in a reasonable way versus counterproductive cynicism. So in my this is a very limited experience because I I really don't watch other shows like mine. I've seen a few Jimmy Door clips over the last two, three months when we talked about his um, his attacks on me or whatever. Jimmy Dore, right now, I would characterize as counterproductively cynical and full stop. With Kyle, I'd need to see the examples you're talking about. But in my experience, one of the differences between Kyle and me is that he certainly is more idealistic and I'm more pragmatic. But I think there's a real value to idealism because if you have only pragmatists, you get into a vortex of only focusing on incrementalism. And I think that having the idealism as part of it, as long as it doesn't get you beyond being willing to accept steps in the right direction, Mm -hmm. I think idealism is valuable.
6: Yeah, I do. I do agree with idealism. Yeah, it's valuable, but you have to be idealistic and pragmatic at the same
0: time. I completely agree. and what I'm hearing because you say, I'm you're sure saying I'm you're saying, Kyle, with you, yeah, you're saying Kyle is idealistic, but not pragmatic enough.
6: Yes, because I am sure that you are probably an idealistic person, too. But Certainly. however, you will see that in order for you to get a certain or uh, obtain us um, a political end, you have to um, be a bit more pragmatic because, as I said, there's nothing wrong with being idealistic. Yeah it's how do we get that idealism? We have to be pragmatic. So.
0: All right. Well, I think, I mean. uh, Ricky, I think your critique is well understood and you've made it respectfully and I appreciate it.
6: OK, thank you very much. All right. Ricky
0: from Jamaica. Jamaica, by the way, how are, are things OK in Jamaica right now?
6: Yeah, man, we're, we're very we're doing pretty good here.
0: Good. Yes. All right. All right. Ricky Let's from Jamaica, me. hope to hear from you again. Um let's uh, go to a quick break. Sorry, I wasn't able to hear from everybody, but we will take calls again. And I hope to hear from you next time. The David Pakman Show at DavidPacman.com. dot com. Let's face it, most healthy snacks don't taste that good. They don't fill you up. They don't really satisfy your cravings which is why you should check out monk pack today's sponsor, monk pack, keto, nut and seed bars taste like your favorite delicious sweet snacks. But each bar has less than one gram of sugar, only two to three grams of net carbs. And they're just one hundred and fifty calories. These are perfect for a keto or low carb diet or anybody who wants to cut back on sugar. Flavors include caramel sea salt, sea salt, dark chocolate and peanut butter dark chocolate that's my go to i love the monk pack keto nut and seed bars cuz they're just a good balance of sweet and salty soft and chewy and a great crunch from the nuts and seeds and they will give you all of your money back if you don't love them as much as i do go to monkpack.com that's m u n k p a c k.com and they'll give you 20% off when you use coupon code packman the link is in the podcast notes one of our sponsors is privacy, a free service that protects your credit and debit card. I use privacy every time I buy something online. I installed the app on my phone and the privacy desktop browser extension. Now, when I pay for anything, privacy auto fills a virtual credit card number. The money's taken out of my bank account. I don't have to give out my real card number or banking info to anyone. You can create and delete the virtual cards anytime. I especially love it for free trials because I can destroy the virtual card number as soon as I give it to the company and I know I won't be charged in the future. Privacy also has a feature called shared cards, which makes it easy to split payments with friends. Parents can manage a virtual card for their kid with spending limits. Businesses can manage virtual cards for employees to use for company expenses. There are premium plans available, but Privacy's regular service is totally free to use and right now they'll give you $5 just for signing up. When you go to privacy.com/pacman, you can find the link in the podcast notes. The David Pacman show at davidpacman.com. Okay, let's get into audience questions for the week, David. Now, with more hindsight, can we finally say what George W. Bush's legacy is and how does it compare to what you thought it would be when he left office? This is a really interesting question. I actually see George W. Bush's legacy now uh, many years out from his presidency as exactly what I believed it would be when George W. Bush left office. Now. You could make the case. It just hasn't been enough time. We need to wait even more time to know what George W. Bush's real long term legacy is going to be. But uh, sort of around the edges from the point of view of uh, of tone rather than substance, George W. Bush was known for being sort of the dumb president, not particularly bright. I think the Trump presidency has put that in context, like at least George W. Bush read books. Uh, you know, the, it, he, he was dumb ish, but not as dumb as Donald Trump. On policy and failures, uh, George W. Bush's legacy when he left office was that of a war criminal who went to war with the wrong country after the 9 11 attacks, invading Iraq and starting the disaster that we now uh, know of and even have much agreement on from many Republicans as to that war. Uh, Also in the post 9 11 era, George W. Bush's legacy is the Patriot Act um, and the sort of start of a progressive set, not progressive politically, but a growing and advancing uh, set of restrictions on privacy of many kinds, including via technological means. The failure on Katrina, certainly Hurricane Katrina, one of the main um, legacy elements of George W. Bush. And that's really what we believed when George W. Bush left office. And uh, this is interesting from the standpoint of being able to tell versus not being able to tell legacy relatively quickly. I mean, I think the, the question would be if you went back to F.D.R. Did we know FDR's legacy right when when he was no longer in office? I, I think looking at the contemporaneous writing, you sort of did um, getting the U.S. and the world beyond World War II and the uh, New Deal uh, that that was widely written about at the time, and I would argue is still the bulk of FDR's legacy. Uh, Abraham Lincoln, you go back to Abraham Lincoln and, quote, freeing the slaves, being part of the union around Civil War times. I don't know if the term legacy was being used at the time of of Lincoln's assassination, um, but certainly it was clear that that was a big deal. Not everybody liked it but that that was a big deal. So I I do think that the benefit of hindsight is useful in thinking about what is the legacy of a president. And the more distance you get from it, the the more important and useful that that can be. But with George W. Bush, at least uh, the his legacy was pretty clear right away. Um, And now, as we are um, 13 years out from George W. Bush. It has remained that way. Now, if there are things I'm missing that you think are part of George W. Bush's legacy, let me know. And then the question becomes, what is Donald Trump's legacy going to be? And uh, not good, I think, is how I would characterize it. But we'll leave the deeper analysis for another moment. David, do you think that Trump policies are actually more popular than Republican policies? This is an interesting question because a lot of Trump policies aren't really policies. And and this is one of the important things to understand that gets us back to our discussion about the allure, the sometimes deceptive allure of a populist rhetoric which then implodes in either authoritarianism or incompetence or in the case of Donald Trump. Both there are lots of, quote, Republican policies that are not very popular anymore. If you look at just to pick something, if you look at the topic of abortion, the Republican Party uh, continues to be among its elected officials, very anti choice. But the U.S. population has moved more and more to the left in terms of believing that abortion should be legal and safe in most cases. So in that sense, that's a Republican policy that's not very popular with the American people. The tricky and and sort of pernicious thing about Donald Trump's quote policies is that many of them aren't actually policies. They're just vague promises that are meant to play on the resentment and discontent of large swaths of Americans. So I'll give you an example. When Donald Trump ran on, we're getting screwed on trade, you're getting screwed and you're getting screwed, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, even if he wasn't saying that everybody's getting screwed and China this and China that. I understand it, and I'm going to fix it. That's not a policy, but it accurately sort of rang a bell of discontent and resentment that many people had. And in that sense, it was a popular thing for him to say. We can't really call it a popular policy because it's not actually a policy. And as we saw when Donald Trump um, actually. Uh, negotiated that trade deal and said, we fixed everything. We fixed NAFTA. It was really NAFTA redux with a different name and a lot of the same elements. The policy itself was not actually any better than what we had before. So I want to be really careful about saying Trump's policies are more popular than Republican policies because many of them aren't actually policies. Another example, um, health care. Donald Trump got some Favorable ratings while he was uh, running for president on the idea of getting rid of Obamacare and replacing it with something that's going to be great and we're going to keep coverage for pre existing conditions. There were people who certainly liked that and they arguably liked it as well or better than the Republican proposals. Um, but there was really nothing there. And once the actual proposal was put forward, And it was scored and it was determined that 20, 30 million people would end up without care who currently had it didn't go anywhere. And to even call it a policy is a bit of a stretch. And then you have things that are sort of more pedestrian. I mean, um, a lot of the things Trump wanted were not popular. Trump was widely against, you know, no covid mask mandate or really a request from the presidency Joe Biden did that. It has 80 percent support. So that clearly wasn't a popular thing that Donald Trump stood for. Building the wall was never particularly popular. You know, it was kind of right in there, split among party lines. So you start with party lines and shift a little bit towards less popular. So I think for some of these things that were more actual policy ideas from Trump, they weren't particularly popular. the The reason the Trump policy platform, if you can even call it that, lulled a lot of people into supporting it is that it was essentially just populist rhetoric, which a lot of people like, even some people on the left, without actual policy prescriptions, which with which when Trump did actually put out uh, in detail were widely unpopular. Right now, uh, this continues to be a problem. The American electorate is far to the left of where our candidates are. The American electorate is well to the left of the average of the hundred senators on so many different issues ranging from income inequality, what tax rates should be all the way to social issues like abortion. So uh, a lot of Republican and Trump policies aren't popular, but they continue to win in many ways because the uh, uh, wedge issues that are really great fundraising issues continue to be sort of wielded like a cudgel by many Republican elected officials and candidates and we'll have time to see if and how that shifts between now and the 2022 elections. David, why do you think Christian prophets are on the rise again? This is a really interesting question and there's a super compelling article in the New York Times about Christian prophets and their predictions. And one of the points that the article makes is that right now There is a real hunger for reassurance and clarity uh, in many areas of American culture. In particular, we have seen Donald Trump be the least popular president by approval rating in the polling era, leave the White House with the lowest approval rating of any president in the polling era with so many failed promises from Donald Trump and for the left. Who never believed any of that stuff to begin with and on average is less religious than the right. And to the extent that the left is religious, it tends to be less the sort of charismatic evangelical Christianity that is so uh, much more prominent on the right in the United States. The left isn't really looking for prophecy, for reassurance and clarity, because much of the left never believed Trump to begin with, and much of the left doesn't look to Uh, these sort of um, uh, televangelist equivalents uh, for guidance on the right. You saw an initially resistant evangelical Christian wing of uh, America resist Trump at the beginning, sort of get behind Ted Cruz and some other candidates in the 2016 Republican primary. Eventually Trump won. And they certainly weren't going to vote for Hillary Clinton. So you saw a lot of these folks who would not normally go for the multiple times divorced guy who pays off uh, 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 porn stars and whatever else. Okay, they went with him and then everything he promised he didn't do. Now, some of them just continue to insist he did all of it. He was the most pro life president and all of this different stuff. Um, But many of them now are seeking some kind of reassurance and clarity after seeing Trump not do any of the stuff he promised to do. And then lose to Joe Biden, who, despite actually being more devoutly religious than Donald Trump, is Catholic and is a Democrat, which does not go too well for a lot of these charismatic and evangelical uh, Christian communities. So there is a big demand for someone who will tell you in clear terms, here's what's going to happen. And that is part of the reason why Christian prophets are, are sort of seeing this uh, resuscitation, uh, newly popular once again widely making wrong predictions, as has always been the case. Now, interestingly, astrology is also expanding in popularity and the number of Americans who believe in psychics are also expanding. And I think that this is just a general sort of reaction to uncertain political times combined with a global hundred year pandemic and the desire to have someone who will tell you here's how things are going to be in your life, in the political future of the United States, et cetera. Uh, We know that at minimum, one third of Americans say that they're suffering from stress and anxiety as a result of the pandemic. When we ask, when will it be over? We don't really know. We're starting to get more clarity, at least on, on the trajectory over the next few months. And things are looking better and hopefully it'll keep going that way. But for a year now, we've had such uncertainty. That it is natural that people would want answers and they would want someone who will tell you definitively who is more arrogant in their predictions than these particular televangelist type Christian prophets whose income and livelihood depends on, even if they don't know what the hell's going to happen, telling you that they definitely do. And uh, because of that, I'm not particularly surprised that this world of Christian punditry and prophecy. Has uh, surged in popularity. If I'm missing something in that analysis, let me know. I'm curious to hear from you. We have a fantastic bonus show for you today. Make sure you get instant access by becoming a member at joinpacman.com. We will see you then.